morning, I want to begin by reading from Luke uh, chapter 1 or 2, excuse me. And I'm going to be reading what we would traditionally call Luke 2, the, the story of the birth of Jesus. Uh, my granddaughter said, Opa, are you going to read that? <clears throat> and I said, yes, I am. I'm going to read it to you this morning. So here I am reading to you, Cora. Ready? This is from the message, uh, no, not the message, the Passion Translation. During those days, the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, ordered that the first census be taken throughout his empire. Quirinius, Quirinius was the governor of Syria at the time. Everyone had to travel to his hometown, uh, to the hometown of their family, to complete the mandatory census. census. Uh, so Joseph and his wife, Mary, left Nazareth, uh, a village in Galilee, and journeyed to their hometown in Judea to the village of Bethlehem, King David's ancient home. They were required to register there since they were both direct descendants of Mary, of, of David. Mary, pregnant and uh, nearly ready to give birth. When they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor. And there she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped the newborn baby in strips of cloth, and Mary and Joseph laid him in a feeding trough, since there was no available space in any upper room in the village. That night, in a field near Bethlehem, shepherds were watching over their flocks. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor before them, lighting up the field with the blazing glory of God, and the shepherds were terrified. But the angel assured them, saying, Do not be afraid, for I have come to bring you good news, the most joyous news the world has ever heard. And it is for everyone, everywhere. For today, in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. You will recognize him by this miraculous sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Then all at once in the night sky, a vast number of glorious angels appeared, the very armies of heaven, and they all praised God, singing, Glory to God, glory to God in the highest realms of heaven, for there is peace and good hope given to the sons of men. When the choir of angels disappeared and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's hurry and find this word who is born in Bethlehem and see ourselves what the Lord has revealed to us. So they hurried off and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a feeding trough. Upon seeing this miraculous sign, the shepherds recounted what that had just happened. Everyone who heard the shepherd's story was astonished by what they had been told. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart and often pondered what they meant. The shepherds returned to their flock, ecstatic over what had happened. They praised God and glorified him for all they had heard and seen for themselves, just like the angel had said. Amen. Today, as we share 
celebrating Christmas together, I want to share with you a message that I didn't write. As near as we can understand, this sermon was written 1,600 years ago by a bishop known as St. John Chrysostom. He was referred to as the golden-mouthed preacher. And some of his sermons I often recite and share his, his uh, Easter homily because many in the church don't believe that much can be improved on what was proclaimed. It comes with simplicity and with clarity. So I'm going to do my best this morning to share with you the Nativity homily as it was recorded somewhere around 394 to 400. So again, one generation from when the church had just been uh, come out from under persecution. Behold, he said, a new and wondrous mystery. My ears resound to the shepherd's song, piping no soft melody, but chanting full forth a heavenly realm. The angels sing. The archangels blend their voice in harmony. The cherubim hymn their joyful praise. The seraphim exalt his glory. All join to praise this holy feast, beholding the Godhead here on earth and man in heaven. He who is above, now for our redemption, dwells here below. And he that was lowly is by divine mercy raised. Bethlehem this day resembles heaven. Hearing from the stars the singing of angelic voices and in the place of the sun enfolds within itself on every side the sun of justice. And ask not how, for where God wills, the order of nature yields. For he willed. He had the power. He descended. He redeemed. All things yielded in obedience to God. This day, he who is, who is, is born. And he who is becomes what he was not. For when he was God, he became man, yet not departing from the Godhead that is his, nor by any loss of divinity became he man. Not through increase became he God from man, but being the word, he became flesh. His nature, because of impassibility, remained unchanged. And so the kings have come, and they have seen the heavenly king that has come upon the earth, not bringing with him angels, nor archangels, nor thrones, nor dominations, nor powers, nor principalities, but treading a solitary new path. He has come forth from a spotless womb to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Since therefore all rejoice, I too desire to rejoice, to share the choral dance, to celebrate the festival. But I take my part not by plucking the harp, not by shaking the staff, not with the music of pipes, not holding a torch, 
but holding in my arms the cradle of Christ. For this is all my hope. This is all of my life. This is my salvation. This is my pipe, my harp. And bearing it, I come and having from its power received the gift of speech, I too with the angels sing, glory to God in the highest, and with the shepherds, peace on earth and goodwill to man. This day, he who was ineffably begotten of the Father was for me born of a virgin in a way no tongue can tell. Begotten according to his nature before all ages from the Father, in a manner he knows who has begotten him, born again this day from the virgin, above the order of nature, in which manner knoweth the power of the Holy Spirit. His heavenly generation is true, and his generation here on earth is true. As God, he is truly begotten of God, so also as man, he's truly born from the virgin. In heaven, he alone is the only begotten of the one God. On earth, he is the only one, the only begotten of a unique virgin. Since this heavenly birth cannot be described, neither does his coming amongst us in these days permit of too curious a scrutiny Though I know that a virgin this day gave birth, and I believe that God was begotten before all time, yet the manner of this generation I have learned to venerate in silence, and I accept that it is not to be probed too curiously with wordy speech. For with God we look not for the order of nature, but rest our faith in the power of him who works. What shall I say to you? What shall I tell you? For behold, a mother has brought forth. I see a child come to this light by birth. The manner of his conception I cannot comprehend. Nature here is overcome. The boundaries of the established order set aside where God so wills. For not according to nature has this thing come to pass. Nature here rested while the will of God labored. Oh, ineffable grace. The only begotten who is before all ages, who cannot be touched or perceived, who is simply without a body, now has put on a body that is visible and liable to corruption. For what reason? That coming amongst us he may teach us. And teaching, lead us by the hand of the things that men cannot see. For since men believe that the eyes are more trustworthy than the ears, they doubt of that which they do not see. And so he, he deigned to show himself in bodily presence that he may remove all doubt. Christ, finding the holy body and the soul of the virgin, builds for himself a living temple. And as he had willed, formed there a man from a virgin 
and putting him on, this day came forth unashamed of lowliness, the lowliness of our nature, unashamed. For it was to him no lowering to put on what he himself made. Let the handiwork of God be glorified forever. Which became the cloak of its own creator. For as in the first creation of the flesh, man could not be made before the clay had come into his hand, so neither could this corruptible body be glorified until it had become the garment of the master. What shall I say? How shall I describe this birth to you? For this wonder fills me with astonishment. The ancient of days has become an infant. He who sits upon the sublime and heavenly throne now lies in a manger. He who cannot be touched, who is simple, who is without complexity and untouchable, now lies subject to the hands of man. He who has broken the bonds of sinners and is now bound by an infant's bands. But he has decreed that shame shall become honor. Infamy, be clothed with glory, total humiliation, the measure of his godliness. Come then, let us observe the feast. Come and we will commemorate the solemn festival. Truly wondrous is the whole chronicle of the nativity. For this day, the ancient slavery is ended. The devil confounded. The demons take to flight. The power of death is broken. Paradise is unlocked. The devil not only confounded, but the curse taken away. Sin is removed from us. Error is driven out. Truth has been brought back. The speech of kindliness diffused and spreads on every side a heavenly way of life has been planted on the earth. Angels communicate with men without fear. And men now hold speech with angels? Why is this? Because God is now on the earth. And man in heaven, on every side, all things comingly. Though being the impassable word, he became flesh, that he might dwell among us, he became flesh. He did not become God. He was God. Wherefore, he became flesh so that he whom heaven did not contain, a manger would this day receive. He was placed in a manger so that he by whom all things were, were nourished may receive an infant's food from his virgin mother. 
So the father of all ages, as an infant at the breast, nestled in the arms of Mary, that the Magi may more easily see him. Since this day, the Magi, too, have come and made a beginning of withstanding tyranny, and, and the heavens give glory as the Lord is revealed by a star. By what shall I say? By what, what shall I utter? Behold, an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. As Eve, being deceived, uttered a word that was the cause of death, so Mary received good tidings, brought forth in the flesh a word that gave us eternal life. The word of Eve led to the tree because of which Adam was driven out from paradise. The word which the virgin brought forth led to the cross because of which the thief, standing in the place of Adam, was led to paradise. Seeing that man abandoning him fashioned for themselves idols to which offending God, they gave adoration for which cause on this day the word of God being truly God appeared in the form of man that he might set right this falsehood and in a veiled manner turned all adoration unto himself. To him then who out of confusion has wrought a clear path to Christ, to the Father, to the Holy Ghost, we offer all praise and glory now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Amen. As we close this morning, as we come to communion, I want to invite us to a prayer that was written by Pete Gregg. He's the, the leader of the, or he's been a, a leader and a founder of the 24-7 prayer movement throughout Europe and now around the world. Um, but this is a prayer for Advent in 2023. And our participation in it is, there's only a couple of lines here. But um, I want to invite you, if you would, to stand with me. And I want to read this proclamation. If Advent is anything this year, it must surely mean that Jesus is still that Jewish baby frightened for his life, still that displaced child fleeing the land of his birth with his terrified family hoping for safety in Egypt. If Advent means anything at all this year, as our candles flicker while cities burn. It must surely mean that Christ is coming specifically and explicitly to Bethlehem and Gaza, Khartoum, Kiev. You want to read it with me, it's fine. If Advent means anything at all this year, as spending soars while millions struggle, it must surely mean that God himself will soon be found in prosperous nations among the elderly, lonely, standing in line with those whose daily bread comes from food banks. If Advent means anything at all this year, in the wake of too many scandals to mention, it must surely mean that Christ is on his way once again to the cold, dark, dirty manger of my 
own cold, dark, dirty heart. Here's our prayer. All right. Healer of nations, we solemnly ask you would return to us this Advent. Prince of Peace, we need you now more this year than ever. Here's the last proclamation. If Advent means anything at all this year, it's an ancient lament, the oldest, the shortest, most desperate, most important word the church has ever prayed. Maranatha. Can we say that together? Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want to invite us to come to the Lord's table together by His invitation. I was pondering these thoughts this morning. It just such a profound reality that this thin veil Jesus transcended. This is what we proclaim in the birth of Christ. Um, two things I want to share. One I came across this morning. Do you have that photo there? You pull that photo up. There's a Lutheran church in Bethlehem that decided for its Christmas nativity scene it would be a bit different by placing the symbolic baby Jesus in a manger of rubble and destruction to re reflect the reality of Palestinian children living and being born today as seen by the Evangelical Lutheran Christmas Church in Bethlehem in the occupied West Bank on December the 14th. 2023. The pastor of that church is a Palestinian Christian theologian. I want you to gaze at that. This is from Brian Zahn. Before the village was known as Bethlehem, as the house of bread, it was identified as Ephrathah, the ash heap. It was here that Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife, died in childbirth and was buried. To this day, the tomb of Rachel is located just outside the entrance to Bethlehem. Do you see the hint of the gospel in this? The ash heap of sorrow and loss can become the place where the bread of life is born. This is Brian sharing now. I've been to Bethlehem many times. I have Palestinian Christian friends who live there. I love spending time in the ancient church of the nativity that venerates the traditional birth of Christ. On my writing desk, I have a beautiful cross icon that I obtained, one of Bethlehem's olive wood stores. I found peace. I found beauty in Bethlehem. But I've also seen separation walls, rubber bullets, tear gas canisters there situated on the fault line of one of the world's most intraceable conflicts. Bethlehem lies at the intersection of the iconic beauty and painful reality. This Christmas carol about Bethlehem says it right, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Christ is not born in the beautiful places of our lives as if we live in the idyllic bubble of a snow globe. 
Christ is born in the war-torn places of our lives. Littered with rubber bullets and tear gas canisters, Jesus was not born in a fairy tale world, but into a world as it is. So, may it be so for us today. He will be great to the ends of the earth, and this one will be our peace. O King, born in Bethlehem, may you come to the broken and the war-torn parts of our world. Be our shepherd who leads us in the way of peace. Lord, this is our cry from our heart for the pains of the world, for the pains of our lives. We proclaim today, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. So Lord, as we come to this table by your invitation, we proclaim, O God, We've missed the mark. We've sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed, by what we have done, by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart, not loved our neighbor as ourself, and we are truly sorry. We humbly repent and ask for the sake of your son, Jesus, that you would cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that we would delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory and to the honor of your name. Pray this in the name of your dear Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.